And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over, he and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Sukkoth, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Ziba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Sukkoth said, are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand, so that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, well, then when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there, he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered as the men of Sukkoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, when I come again, I will break down this tower. Now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of all the army of the peoples of the east. For there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Noba and Jogabehah and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Ziba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and he threw all the army into a panic. Then Gideon the son of Joash returned from the battle by the ascent of Heres, and he captured a young man of Sukkoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Sukkoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took the thorns of the wilderness and briars with them, and taught the men of Sukkoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And then he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, As you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jetha the firstborn, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as this man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hands of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earnings from his spoil. For they had earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And he answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that was requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian. And besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in the city in Ophrah. And all the people of Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land of Gideon had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. We good? Cool. Hey, so uh, I'm Dale. If you don't know me, I... uh 
so honored to be able to come and preach um, this morning. Vince. Good? Maybe? Vince had texted me actually about a week ago and he said, hey, what do you be in town? I'm, I'm good. He goes, do you want to preach? Uh, sure. And then uh, I, I was expecting that I would uh, be able to choose what I got to preach from, but um, <laughs> instead uh, he wants me to preach on judges, which is not <laughs> a very easy thing to preach on. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be up here. And Kenny for giving me this opportunity. Good? Okay. All right. Let's get going now. Um, so I, I'm just going to tell you guys a quick story. And when I tell you this, please uh, don't think of me any different than you already might. Uh, but when I was growing up, my, my parents were late for everything. And, uh, and actually, my dad's here, so, um, and he, he was on time today, so that's, that's good. Um, but I was about six or seven, and my sister and I were, we were at a summer camp, and uh, it was about time for everybody, just one specific day, it was about time for um, everybody to get picked up, and I noticed everybody's parents kept coming in, but uh, my mom was supposed to pick us up that day. And she just wasn't showing up. And what it seemed like two hours uh, was probably about 20 minutes of her not showing up, I started to panic. And when I was little, I was extremely shy. I um, was timid, terrified all the time. And, and I was six or seven. So, um, But I, for some reason, I just this sheer terror washes over me. And... I thought to myself, did my mom forget me? Did she forget to pick me up? And, uh, and then I start bawling, like a little baby, just absolutely crying. And I had asthma when I was little, too. And I, I, I was crying so hard, I sent myself into an asthma attack. And it was, it was just miserable. And um, I just remember that, that terror of, man, did, did my mom forget about me? Of course, she was just running late, like they always do, or like they always did. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I, just, I just bring that up. And when I have kids, I just want to make sure that my kids never feel that type of terror that I felt. Um, so I vow to be on time all the time. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll give, it, I'll give it my best shot. But um, as, as you parents are probably sitting here, you, you, you probably think, man, that's, that's unimaginable that you would forget about your kid, right? Maybe you'd lose track of time. Oh, shoot, it's 3 o'clock. I got to go. But you wouldn't forget that your kid is over there and you have to go pick him up. And, and that seems unimaginable that you would forget your kid. But I think what is even more unimaginable is sometimes, like, we forget God. And, and we forget everything that he's done for us. And... I just, that, that should be even more, like, um, of an issue to us, right? We would never forget our kids, but how often do we forget about God? How often do we forget about what he's done? 
And I'm not, I'm not talking about the type of forgetting where uh, we forget God completely exists, right? Obviously, we're all here this morning because we haven't forgotten that God exists. But I'm talking about specifically about the grace and the mercy that God's given to us, right? He's shown us grace and mercy, and we just forget about it. Um, and, and even more specifically, I want to talk about uh, forgetting about God's grace and mercy when we're in positions of success or positions of victory. Um, there's, so we all know there's a difference between worldly success and godly success, right? Um, they're completely different. If you, if you look at our culture um, and, and you look at, at the body of believers, the, the ideas of success should be completely different. Sometimes they, they're mixed, but uh, I looked up a few quotes just to help you guys understand what worldly success is. Um, one of the greatest soccer players to ever play, his name is Pele, he said this, Success is no accident. It's hard work, perseverance, learning, studying, sacrifice, and most of all, love what you are doing. Bruce Lee, we all know Bruce Lee, says to be successful, always be yourself, express yourself, and have faith in yourself. Arnold Schwarzenegger, remember, you can't climb the ladder of success without your hands, or with your hands in your pockets. So you can't climb that ladder of success without your, with your hands in your pockets. There's one common theme in all of these quotes, right? You. It's, it's what, what you do to obtain this success, right? It's always about me, 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 you, you, you. Like I, I, right? In our culture, doesn't it seem like we, we judge people on how successful they are? Why are we so starstruck when we see famous people? Because they're successful, right? And the less successful you are, it almost seems like the less uh, worth you have in our society. Isn't that screwed up? The world uh, measures success based on how much money you have or how many people are below you in your company or how you look physically um, how many New Year's resolutions you've accomplished. I don't know. There's so many ways that success is measured. And, uh, I mean, worldly success is always about you and what you've done, right? So when we're successful, because we're in this culture of you, 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 when we're successful, we tend to get prideful, right? Um, at least I do, right? I feel like, oh, I've made it. I've, I've done something. I feel like I've had faith in myself. I've worked hard enough to be admired by other people. But oh boy, am I thankful that our Savior doesn't judge or measure our worth based on those standards. And I'm thankful that God will still put us in, in positions of success, right? He, it's not like he wants us to be failures, right? God will put us in positions of success to be a, a tool for furthering the kingdom. But we just have to be weary of, of our positions. Godly success is about how we're being used by God for his glory. 
Um, before we get into this text and this story about Gideon, um, I just want to point out something about Gideon and that he's different than any other judge in this book of Judges. Right? With every other judge, once God uh, rescues his people from oppression or rescues his people, uh, the story always ends with details about the length of, of peace Israel had, uh, had enjoyed under that judge, I guess. With Gideon, it's different. Because Israel's in this cycle, right? I, I either think of a cycle or, or a roller coaster, right? They, God raises up a judge. Israel does well, right? That judge dies or something happens, and it's just this backside of the roller coaster. Israel does evil on the side of the Lord, and it all goes downhill. But with Gideon, he's the only judge where we see Israel on this backside of the roller coaster when he's a judge, when he's their judge savior. Israel's going backwards when he's leading them or judging them. And I'll tell you why in a second. But if you follow the story of Gideon, if you remember last week, Gideon was fearful, timid, a coward, so we have Gideon the fearful. Then, then we find out he's victorious, right? Gideon the faithful. Now, what I'm about to go over is Gideon the fallen. Um, it's my understanding that when you write a sermon, you have to have a catchy title. Um, and I... <laughs> and uh, I, at first I wanted to title this sermon, Gideon, you idiot. Uh, but I actually titled it Triumph to Tragedy, right? Success, sorry, I'm, I got all mixed up. All right, because we see Gideon in chapter seven, and Kenny talked about it, he's victorious. Now I'm gonna talk about the tragedy of Gideon. Um, Gideon, he and his 300 warriors, right? Not the Spartan 300, but this is the OG 300. They've been, they had been victorious over uh, the Midianites and they killed the princes Oreb and Zeb. However, there's still a bunch of uh, Midianites that were running from them and they're chasing them. And that's where we start in chapter eight. I don't know, no? Okay. So I'm just gonna try to, give you guys the best story that I can without that being up there. So they're chasing them and they're covering a lot of land, right? One thing that you'd probably think is, man, they're exhausted. It's not like they have cars to drive across the land. They're traveling, covering so much land. And in verse five, they're tired and they stopped in, in the town called Succoth. Gideon asked the men, hey, we're exhausted. We've been trying to look for these guys and uh, we just need some bread, right? But the men of Succoth, they, they weren't too stoked that they asked for help when the, the, the kings that they were looking for were not in their hands still. So Gideon was pissed. He moves to the town of uh, Penuel, and it's the exact same response. Now, I, I started thinking about this, and imagine if you're running a marathon, right? You're exhausted, you need water, and there's people on the side of the road that have water, 
And you're like, hey, can I have some? And they're like, no, you haven't finished the race yet. Well, you're like, well, I'm in the process of doing that. If I drink the water, it'll help me finish the race. Um, but they're like, oh, sorry, dude. Like, you can't. I'd, I'd be pissed, right? So we see in this next part of the story that Gideon was pissed. <laughs> right? I mean, he, yeah. So he says to Succoth that he's going to flail their flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he told the men of Penuel that he's going to tear down their tower. This is the beginning of the end for Gideon. We saw, we saw him be so victorious. We saw God uh, call him out of cowardness and brought him to, to victory in this last chapter. And, and now this is the beginning of the end. Gideon expects these men of Succoth and Penuel to give him respect and to give him glory for defeating Midian. However, God was the one who had brought Gideon to that point. Instead of saying, hey, I know I, I, know I don't have Zeba and Zalmunna already in my hands, but let's just trust God and let's just trust him that he's going he's gonna to deliver us to beat those guys. He doesn't say that. He says, how dare you doubt me? Don't you see what I've already done? And you doubt that I'm going to be able to, to capture these guys? He's like, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson. Gideon went and captured Zeba and Zamuna. He came back to, to Succoth and he said, see, I told you guys. He taught them a lesson and he tore down the tower. Gideon's anger in this situation proves that he expected to be given the glory and the honor for defeating the, the Midianites. It was vengeance because they doubted his strength. The next few verses, Ziba and Zamuna, we learn that Ziba and Zamuna had killed uh, Gideon's family. So another act of vengeance, Gideon kills them. I want to I stop at this point and talk about being successful. If we look at Gideon, there's a sense of pride in his success. And there's an, a legitimate spiritual danger when we uh, have been given blessings or we're in position of success. God, God is abundantly good to us all of, all of the time. And we're in danger because, because when we're in the good times, it's easy to forget about God. It's easy to be so consumed with the gifts and the benefits of what God's been given to us or what has been given to us that we forget about who gave it to us. If we do that, we end up worshiping our success or we end up worshiping the blessings that we've been given uh, and not the one who, who has given us amazing grace and, and continues to bless us. We, have, we see that in, in the story in Gideon, we have to be completely dependent on God to be used mightily by him, right? Gideon was cowarding. He was paralyzed with fear in the wine press. And after many reassurances from God, he completely steps out in faith and is victorious. Now, we also see that God, if you guys remember the story, there was 32,000 uh, warriors in Gideon's army, but God brought that number down to 300. He could have easily just delivered uh, 
the hands of, or the Midianites into the hands of, of Gideon and his army of the 32,000, but he wanted to cut that number down so that, um, the, that they were totally dependent on God, right? So if, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if Gideon went and fought with this 32,000, they, um, I mean, he kind of would have said like, oh, that was easy, right? And it, and it would have been like, look what I did. That was my success. But God wants to use average men and women to do great things. We see that Gideon has this need for respect, uh, and he gets angry when he doesn't get what he thinks he deserves. Success in battle seems the worst thing that could have happened to him, even, even worse than if he failed in battle. And I also know that at this church, you can't preach a good sermon unless you reference Tim Keller. So here's my Tim Keller reference. <laughs> this is an example um, that he has in one of his books, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. He says, imagine someone who works extremely hard at their job uh, to prove themselves through financial success. Now, what is the worst thing that could happen to this person? You would think, oh, well, career failure, right? Their, their identity is stuck in, in them making money and being successful, so if they fail then that would be the worst thing possible. But Keller actually makes the point that the worst thing that could happen to them is career success because success will only confirm their belief that they did it, that they made it, right? That they can fulfill themselves and control their own lives. At this point, the person will be so much more a slave to their success and money than if they failed. Does that make sense? It would be more proud and superior and that's where Gideon was. Uh, all of his success made him that much more slave um, to success and his status. And it just keeps getting worse. As we read this story, it's just, he's going downhill real quick. And uh, Paul seems to remember where his success comes from. This is kind of a cool little parallel in, uh, in Acts. Paul says, uh, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solely of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul understands that his ministry isn't his own. The success he has in his mission's attempts is not based on his action, but it's based on the grace that he's been given. And being successful doesn't only mean financially, right? Uh, it could mean finances. It could mean breaking a habit or, or, or beating an addiction. That's successful, right? I have a, I have a wise friend who uh, was talking to me about uh, quitting smoking. And uh, this guy, I mean, he's, he's an amazing person. But he once told me that he was addicted to cigarettes and he tried to quit for so long, but he wasn't able to. And he said what it took for him to realize, what it took for him to quit was that he had to realize that he couldn't do it on his own 
and that he needed God to help him. And as soon as he realized that, he said he had no desire to smoke cigarettes. Now, I tell you this because this friend, he could have, he could have walked around and said, hey, I quit cold turkey one day and it was awesome. Like, I, I did this. I quit smoking. But no, instead of telling that to me, he said, look, the reason why I quit smoking is because God had brought me to a place that I realized I needed to rely on him to quit smoking. <clears throat> in Gideon's case, he doesn't see his accomplishments in terms of God, but he sees his accomplishments in terms of what he has done. All right, let's continue. Verse 22. So, now this is where we start to see things get bad, not only for Gideon, but for Israel as well. Uh, after Gideon defeated all these people, Oreb, Zeb, Zeba, Zalmunna, the rest of the Midianites, Israel wanted to establish a ruling dynasty, a human dynasty, which was Gideon, his sons, and his grandsons. But this means that Israel was, re- was rejecting the way that, uh, that God, God's methods of ruling, right? They wanted a human king instead of having the Lord as their king. This next part is interesting because they, they ask Gideon, hey, be our king. And Gideon's like, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And at that point, we're like, okay, Gideon's on to something. Maybe, maybe things are turning around for him, right? He's a, it's a little bit of a shocker after what he just did to the men of Succoth and, and Penuel, right? And imagine if, that's, if this is where the story ended, right? If, if Gideon was like, hey, I'm not going to rule over you, but let God rule over us, and then the story ends. Seems like it'd be a good story, right? But hold on. The next verse he goes on, he contradicts himself, right? He had just refused to be the king of Israel, but then he goes on and and lives, like he requests gold and silver as if he was the king. He asks everyone to give him their gold earrings. Uh, Roka, any like football or sports fans in here? So... Have you guys ever seen uh, an interview at the end of the game? And the athlete's like, yeah, uh, I want to thank God. And, and then he goes on and then tells everybody how awesome he did, right? Or, or what he's done to get to where he's at, right? It's kind of what we see with Gideon, right? Hey, uh, God's going to rule over you, but give me all your jewelry and let me act like your king, He makes, he makes a, an ephod out of it, which is like a, an apron, like a golden apron that the high priest would wear. And uh, instead of Gideon wearing it, he actually sets it up as like a, an idol and a place to worship. He had, um, he had set aside the original function of it and made it something where people can come and worship. By doing so, he made, uh, he used his position to serve and, and glorify himself instead of glorifying God and what he's done. 
And we're told Israel whored after it. Now, that's not a good look, right? It kind of reminds me of the golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai. This obviously isn't going well for Gideon. But I want to address this, right? It's okay to be successful. Uh, God doesn't want us to be lowly people. God does, he actually wants to, us to live successful lives. He's, in John 10.10, 10, he says I, he, he's come to give us life and abundant life, right? He doesn't want us to be failures at all. But he just wants us to handle our success in a different way that the world handles it, right? Because man says successful people devote themselves to their own goals. But you know what God says? Successful people devote themselves to me and I will establish their plans. Our creator doesn't want us to fail or to feel like a failure because he created us for a definite purpose in mind. Why would he want us to fail? I know plenty of successful people. Um, People with their own businesses, PhDs, people who have made their way up the ranks in their, their company. And I and I know people who have overcome incredible odds of addiction, all these successes and, and these believers, right? And I, and I can tell you right now, some of those people know how they got there. Some of those people know that, that God has given them grace and mercy to, to get to that point. And, and some of them know they think they know how they got there, right? They think that they did it on their own. It's all, it all comes down to how we handle this success, right? Who gets the glory? Who gets the honor? Who deserves the glory and the honor? Even though you may have worked your fingers down to the bone to get to that point, I don't know if I'm crossing any boundaries here, but you may have worked your fingers down to the bone to get to that point, but you don't deserve, I don't deserve any honor or any glory for anything I've done. Um, I, I probably wasn't going to share this until some encouraging words this morning from Dave and Kirsty, but um, this week as I was trying to prepare for this, I, uh, I was just deeply convicted. Um, and I just wanted to give you guys the best sermon possible. Why? Because I want you to think I'm a good preacher. Right? No, honestly. And, and as I'm studying this, I'm like, this is what I'm talking about? Like, looking for glory and honor in, in success? I'm, I'm conveying that to people, and, but I'm coming up here, and I'm, I'm doing that same exact thing? And God was like, dude, don't forget, like, how you've gotten to this point, right? Don't forget that I've, I've brought you out of darkness emotionally, spiritually. Don't forget the people I've placed in your life for you to be here. I, I was just, I, I, told you, I told you about how I cried uh, when I was seven. Yeah, God wrecked me this week. <laughs> Why is it so easy to forget those things? You guys ever notice that um, when things are going well, we kind of tend to throw God in, in the back seat? Things, when things aren't going well, that's when we pursue God and, and, and we're praying more. We're like, God, help me. Why is it that way? Uh, Hosea 13.6, a 
God, God is, is using Hosea as, as a parable, right? God's talking about Israel wandering in the wilderness. And he says, but when they had grazed, they had become full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Why do we forget? It's because we have this earthly fulfillment that causes us to forget the grace of God. It's, it, it's, it's like when we, we feel like we don't need God because we're satisfied in things of, of this earth. And that's just going to lead to destruction. And we see it in Gideon, the story of Gideon. Psalm 103, uh, 2. The ESV says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. The NLT says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Do you guys forget? I forget. When we think of all the good things that that God's done for us, I think sometimes for me, the one thing that I forget it's probably one of the most important things is that I was bought with a price. Um, I forget that if, if Jesus didn't come and die on that cross for me, my life would be completely different. It's super cool to see that when Israel uh, was expecting their Messiah, they thought this Messiah was going to come and be successful with a sword and and cut down their, their enemies, right? But their, our Messiah came and he was a humble servant. Israel thought that their Savior was going to be successful in worldly terms, but our Savior came and was successful in godly terms. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We find it too easy to forget everything about our salvation, um, all the success and all the gifts um, that we've received from God's grace. We need to remember that we need God's grace for when we fail, but we need God's grace even more for when we succeed. Unlike Gideon and unlike us, Christ had every right to demand the treatment of a king. Right? Unlike Gideon, who set up a false tabernacle with the ephod, Christ is the tabernacle. The one who deserved to be treated like a king came in, in Mark 10, 45, says he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And in ransoming, in that ransoming, and willing to go to that cross, Christ had, had taken this, um, this wrath that we should have received for every time we forget about the Lord, Christ came and he had taken that away. He died for every time we forget the grace and mercy. I just want to ask this question real quick. What, what do you think it would have looked like if 
if Gideon had been victorious and, uh, and he didn't look back and see his own success, he probably would have led Israel into a spiritual revival, renewal. The opposite happened. He won, he forgot, Israel fell away. The story continues in, in uh, Judges 9, and uh, I was going to get to that more, but I'll, I'll just kind of quickly share what happened. So this is after Gideon dies. He, uh, his son, Abimelech, comes to the people of Israel and says, hey, uh, we kind of need a king, right? Don't you think I should be your king? He, uh, he just further leads Israel astray. He thought Israel needed a king. He came in and just led Israel down a path of destruction. He turned Israel against each other. He killed so many people. I encourage you to read it if you get a chance. But we just see that this, this path of destruction starts when Gideon forgets the Lord and it just goes downhill so quick. I'll just finish up with this. Are there aspects in our life or in our work where we think we should get more recognition or we should get more honor for? Maybe we should rethink where that honor and glory should go. Um, we're going to take communion this morning. I love that we take communion uh, every Sunday because it, it gives us an opportunity to remember. Um, the band, you guys can come on up. I challenge you guys to remember the way uh, that God has worked in your life. I challenge you to remember that every time you're successful, every time you have a victory, that you don't, we don't deserve the honor or the glory for that. And if we think we do, we're just going to go down a path of destruction. Guys, I... I I was so convicted this week. Um, the Lord is so good to us. And uh, I, I was just thinking about it. And I don't, I don't know why we tend to forget. Like I said, we have this, this satisfaction or fulfillment. But the Lord is just so good to us. From, from everything, the small blessings to, to sending his son to die for us. So I, I just sit, as we take communion, um, they're going to sing a song. There's going to be a pray, prayer team over here. Um, I think we just need to respond and, and uh, remember all the great things that God's done for us. I'm going to pray real quick and we'll go ahead and partake. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, personally, God, that you've you've reminded me that every time I look for the recognition that I think I deserve, God, I thank you that this week you just deeply convicted me. God, I thank you that you want us to succeed. 
God, you want us to, to be in, in positions where um, we can lead people closer to you. God, I just pray that if we are in these positions, that you, you help us uh, to remember where that honor and that glory goes to, Lord. God, we just love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.